Hey everybody, it's just your friendly neighborhood trans handyman here. <laughs> Before the episode begins, I wanted to give you a disclaimer that the audio quality is a little bit different this week. My voice gets cut off a few times, and my laugh does as well. We change podcast studios and are doing things a little bit different, and some variables were, well, you know, variable. <laughs> so just wanted to give you a heads up. Please hang in there with us. This is such a fun episode. So Take care, and let's listen to the episode together. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Mercury, Mercury, Stardust. She's a beacon of hope in the darkest night. Mercury, Mercury, Stardust. She'll teach you how to make it all all right. Hey there, hi, my name is Mercury, and I'm the trans handy ma'am. My pronouns are she, her, and I teach compassionate DIY. We're here to help renters, LGBTQIA members, and anyone who's feeling left out in a DIY space. Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Thank you for listening to our second episode of the Handy Ma'am Hotline. I'm with my co-host, the wonderful Maggie Conrad. Hey, everybody. I can't. <laughs> Maggie, once again, the audience loves you, um, and they apparently love the podcast. We they are... really do. Wow, everybody, thank you for the overwhelming support and um, the, the awesomeness that you're giving us. It means a lot to me. Um, we've had one heck of a overwhelming last week. We just officially moved into our 3,000 square foot space, our yeah. workshop dash podcast studio. We're here in it right now. Yeah, what a wild thing that's happening for us right now. Uh, we are also fastly approaching my last burlesque show on December 16th here in tropical Madison, Wisconsin. And you can get tickets for that show online as well because you can watch it anywhere in the entire world while it's happening. Uh, by going to MercuryStardust.com. And I got to tell you, Maggie, every week we get a little bit closer to me hanging up my G-string. And <laughs> I am getting so nervous. <laughs> because the number keeps on increasing how many people are buying tickets for that show. Yeah. We're aiming for 10,000 tickets. 10,000 uh, 10, online tickets would cover our costs for a good chunk of next year yeah. as a business. And would really put us in a good place. Mm -hmm. So we're really hoping to be able to do that. Uh, but also, as we're getting closer and the numbers are raising, how many people are going to be there and, and, and how many people are going to be watching the, the the show online, I realized I have to do good. Uh, <laughs> but The pressure is on. <laughs> I might have 13 burlesque titles and I might be doing this for 15 years and I may have done eight over 800 performances or whatnot. But boy, I am nervous. <laughs> I mean, as speaking of somebody who has seen, you know, a handful or more of your shows, I think you're going to knock it out of the park. Maggie's trying to say. Really good at being on the fly. and just Yeah, Maggie's trying to say in the most polite <laughs> way that, that she has seen me mostly naked on stage. Uh, <laughs> the milk involved. Out of context. That's so weird. For those who don't know, I have performed as a cow on stage many times. I'm from Wisconsin. Doing a cow number just seems like the yeah. right thing to do. Yeah. Okay, Maggie. I thought it was. Maggie, Amazing. should we answer some questions from some yes. folks? Okay, let's go. <laughs> Hi, is this Mercury Stardust's hotline? I would imagine. My name's Evelyn, and I'm calling from beautiful downtown, tropical, sunny Madison, Wisconsin. And it's so lovely and beautiful here. Anyway, my question is, um, I have some walls in my apartment, and some of them sound like this. 
and I can drill into them. There's studs in them. I have no problem hanging stuff on the walls. Now, some of my walls sound like this. I don't know if you can hear that, but it's like cement or it's brick, and I'm just not sure what to do, um, especially because I do have a power drill, and it makes me feel very powerful, uh, but it's like a little, like, 18-watt volt um, Ryobi, and I just don't think it can do what I need it to do in this wall, but maybe it can. Is, like, do I need to buy a new drill? Is there, like, a way that I could make my drill go into holes so I can put screws in it so I can hang, like, big, heavy stuff on my walls like this without purchasing a new big, like, impact driver, I think is what it would be called. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm excited uh, for your future ventures. Thank you so much. Okay, this is by far my favorite call we've ever gotten <laughs> for so many reasons. <laughs> um, thank you for the wonderful question. Uh, so we've listened to this voice message like a, a bunch of times to try to get the actual noise down. And the the question here is, what are we hearing, right? I believe we are hearing concrete. That is what we believe. Cylinder block was also another thing that I thought maybe might be a reality. But we're not positive. So we're going to give the best answers we can from a wide perspective. And hopefully we get something right. <laughs> so buckle up. We're going to do the best we can. But that all being said, uh, when if you're a renter, I highly discourage uh, drilling into concrete or cylinder block. Not just because that's a, that's a permanent thing that you're doing, right? Um, because it's not necessarily. You can fill it up like with, with, with various... Um, you know, cement fillers or stucco, you can actually technically fill it up when a uh, renter moves out. It will never look the same, but you can do that. And But the reason why I stay stay away from that is because we don't know what's inside that wall. And cylinder block is a great example, right? Me and Maggie were just talking about is that there is sometimes this material that is inside cylinder blocks that are used to dampen sound, and used to prevent there being, you know, a lot of echoes in a room. And that material, uh, tournament, tournament, I don't know the exact pronunciation of it, but it is cancerous uh, and it can cause a problem. So I wouldn't necessarily want to drill into that, right? Uh, so I say steer clear of that. If you are willing, working with cylinder blocks, you essentially want to follow the, the seam. Right. There's a seam like if you're trying to drill in the center of a cylinder block. Right. And you're looking above it and below it, there's going to be a line, an imaginary line on yours that's falling through from the other one. That means that there's going to probably be um, some type of a harder shell inside of that. Um, basically, you know, a cylinder block stud, essentially. Right. So you want to stay away from the the hollow parts of the yes, cylinder block. Yes, the hollow parts of where it would essentially have, right? Sure. Um, but, you know, a lot of the materials we, you're, we use in homes are not great to breathe in, right? I mean, the most famous uh, uh, example in the whole world would be the word that I can't think of right now. Asbestos. Asbestos, Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm the handy man. I'm not the <laughs> I'm not the trans linguistics. Linguistics? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Linguistics. Linguistic lady. <laughs> but all of that being said, um, I would discourage it. But if we are trying to drill into it, like if this isn't cylinder block and it's concrete, concrete's solid, 
right? Way different mentality with concrete. Well, what kind of drills do we need for that? I recommend um, something called a hammer drill. A hammer drill is essentially a drill that compounds its pressure into short little bursts. And you usually need some type of like concrete bit with that that's going to be able to take that pressure and hammer it home, right? And you sometimes impact drivers have a hammer drill setting, but from experience, uh, most of those impact drivers that have that setting are not great in, are not great hammer drills, right? Like the impact driver first, hammer drill second. And typically that's how you wear a drill out or beat it to all hell, right? Um, 18 volts, probably not going to be enough for uh, a, 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 like a, for a cylinder block wall. Yeah, probably. But for concrete, probably not. It's going to beat the heck out of that drill and probably make you go through two batteries, right? And then you're going to end up having to get a new drill anyway. Yeah, but you still want to hang something on the wall. Yeah. Right? That is a So here's something that we did a lot when I was in maintenance. Uh, we used hot glue. I know. I know. Everyone <laughs> in the right mind just... You blew my mind with that one. Everyone just turned off the <laughs> podcast and went on with their life. But hot glue does work. Hot glue does work. Now, is it strong enough to hold something like a mirror? No, 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 no. Like, I don't think, I wouldn't bet my life on it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I will say that um, hot glue um, done correctly on the wall can hold up pretty darn well on, on, on cylinder block and concrete walls. It's because it's like a hearing right to it, right? Sometimes not, but if you clean the wall properly and you prep it, and you use, I think you're supposed to use the, the cold setting. I don't think we ever did. I think we used the hot setting. Uh, <laughs> and it really adheres to it. I think that that will do a good job. So that would be good for, like, pictures, small frame, yeah. some artwork. Yeah. That would be my thought process, you know. And and, and the the reality is, is it's just hard working with those walls. Concrete yeah. and cylinder blocks are just difficult. There are some um, tutorials online and some like DIYs about how to work with concrete stuff, but I'm not super familiar with that. And I don't want to guide anyone down the wrong direction, especially someone who's also in tropical Madison, Wisconsin, <laughs> and might be able to find me and be like mad at me for telling the wrong info. You know? <laughs> but I think that's my hot take, Maggie. Would you have anything to add to it? I mean, it, it makes sense to me. I've never actually had, you know, uh, a room like that that has a concrete wall except for like in the basement right like i have experience with like cylinder blocks in the basement and we you know generally don't hang much there you have to attach some pipes but um i mean also maggie brought this up before we start taking this podcast but is it an exterior wall was a mm -hmm. question we kept on yeah. talking about because we don't want to mess with that notion at all, right? Like, stay away from that is what I would say, you know? If it, anytime there's an exterior wall, just be more cautious because you could be dealing with this. Even if it was drywall, I would say be more cautious if you're drilling into, you know, an exterior's wall for so many reasons. It is literally the wall that protects you from all the environmental stuff around you, yeah. especially in Wisconsin, right? Like, um, be aware that there's, you know, insulation there and, and the things that might come in your way if you're working with drywall. And of course, with, with a single block or concrete, you know, we don't know. We just don't know um, what the situation we could get ourselves into. So, so hot glue it is. Hot <laughs> Boy, if people <laughs> lost trust in me, this is the one that did it. <laughs> Hi, my name is Burgess, and I was calling with a question as to locating a stud in a plaster wall. 
with the lath and plaster process. My house was built in 1939, and it's been quite a challenge. Thank you so much. After I gave my hot, hot glue take, I have to redeem myself with a Joe and Maggie. But the funny thing is, is this is probably also kind of a Looney Tune idea for a lot of people if they've never heard this before. But a magnet is a great way to find a nail or a screw in plaster and lathe. It's an almost a better way than an actual stud finder. So we can talk about this a lot, but essentially plaster and lathe is drywall and plaster lathe are just weird cousins, right? <laughs> they're just they're strange cousins that don't hang out anymore, right? But essentially, plaster and lathe is just drywall before we used cardboard to do it, right? So we have a lot of, like, actual thin pieces of wood that are behind the plaster. But the plaster can be different densities. And that's always been the issue with plaster, right? We don't know how thick the wall is. So sometimes it's a quarter inch. Sometimes it's a half inch. Sometimes it's more than that. Especially if there's added paint and there's age and one fix after another fix. It could be such... And also, sometimes you have wire in there too. Like, it's just so much to try to go through when you're trying to find it with a stud finder because a stud finder needs consistency in order to do its job the best, right? Mm -hmm. Most stud finders, there are high density calibrated stud finders that run you 60 to a hundred dollars. And even as a, uh, a professional, I will tell you, they drive me nuts. They're not easy to work with and you have to calibrate it for your specific wall every time you use it. So trying to make sure it has the right thickness is just not a fun task. So I actually do rely on a magnet a lot. And then I'll tell you a few things about the magnet. Getting yourself a magnet that isn't a refrigerator magnet. We're talking like a good, if we're talking drywall, you can get lucky sometimes and be able to use a <laughs> fridge magnet, right? I've done that video on TikTok. Yeah. It went viral, right? With the little tiger magnet. Yeah, with a little tiger <laughs> magnet. That's great, right? But uh, if we're talking about plaster and lathe and we're having a problem with consistency of, of density, then we're talking about we want to get a good hefty magnet. Not we don't need to go crazy, right? But I would say like go to you know your your Lowe's and your other hardware stores and see if you can find something that has like a fairly strong magnet that can hold at least three to five pounds. Um, sometimes they don't tell you, but even craft stores will have the stronger magnets, mm -hmm. right? You know, you don't need to buy the stud finder specific magnets. You don't need to splurge on those $15. You can buy a $4 magnet and be fine with this. Just make sure it has a pretty good surface area so you're not like needle and haystacking it. And the for those who don't understand what we're necessarily talking about is that every single um, uh, stud in the wall, plaster or drywall, will have some nails or screws in it. If the, whole, the home is old enough, like this person called in and said it was, like almost 100 years old, right? Chances are there were some standards that were coming into practice. They weren't necessarily in code yet. So that means that there were still some variety between what those standards were in homes. But if, if, if we get back into the 1880s, the 1840s, and even older than that, sometimes studs were even thinner and even harder to find, and the nails were thinner sometimes too. So mm -hmm. keeping all that in mind when we're doing this stuff and how we find studs, knowing our history of how homes were made does suit you when you're trying to do DIY things. But that magnet, if you're dragging the wall nice and softly and slowly, right, you will 
hit something magnetic in there. People always ask me, how do you know it's not something that you shouldn't be hitting? And well, the like answer, the answer, answer is this though, is that a pipe is going to be up and down or side to side, right? Like you're going to drag that magnet all the way across and you're going to hit it, right? You're not going to, right? Like with the, if you hit a nail, it's going to be that one isolated spot and you're going to have nothing to hold on to. And then it's going to be another isolated spot. Um, it's also to be mindful is that typically a magnet isn't going to find um, certain pipes in a wall. Not all pipes are magnetic. Most pipes are, but not all pipes, depending on what your home is, when it was built, and et cetera. So those things to keep in mind. Whenever we're drilling in a wall, no matter what, no matter how confident you are, drill a pilot hole, go slow. And if you feel pushback, back off right away, right? It, you know, when like it, it's the equivalent of like you when you go through wood. You know what that feels. It yeah. just feels like you're just going through something nice and soft, right? Like when you're cutting an apple, right? And then all of a sudden, the apples, you, you're good. You're, you're good to go. But if you hit the core, yeah. you can feel that core push back. It's that same type of mentality when you're hitting a pipe with a, with a pilot hole. You can feel that pushback. Don't cut through the core is what I'm trying to say. Just back off and say, you know what? Maybe call a professional. Maybe just get a little bit of help, especially in older homes you don't know. Did I answer the question? I don't know if I did. I think you did, yes. First the hot glue and then the magnet. <laughs> um, but honestly, I do think the magnet is, uh, is is one of my favorite tricks. It's one I'm most known for. Yeah, one of the most popular videos. But honestly, even on that video, Maggie, most people ask me, what about plaster and lathe? And they don't realize that contractors have been almost primarily using magnets for over 100 years for oh, plaster. And, yeah, it's a, it's where that trick doesn't come from drywall users and mutters. It actually comes from plaster and lathe guys <laughs> because like that's how they that's how they would find studs. Yeah. You know, people always say just use a stud finder and that's fine, but stud finders don't always find the center. They find the side of it. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand they're finding the side of it. Yeah. And then they put a screw in the hole. You're supposed to find one side and yeah. then the other. And then Yeah, exactly. It, it took me a long time to learn that one too. Yeah, but people don't know that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? The ones I like, the, the sliders that show you in red spot, spots mm-hmm. where it all is. But even those aren't that accurate, you know? People are like, you can find a good $10 stud finder. And I'm like, a good $10 stud finder is basically a magnet. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Uh, I, I, my high, my theory of all of it is just, um, if you can use them in combination, I think you're in a good spot, but take your time, no rush and, uh, trust yourself and the magnet (laughs) and me. Hi, my name is Alex from Stoughton, Massachusetts, and I all of a sudden have a leaky toilet. And before I call a plumber or a professional to the house to fix it, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind going through some troubleshooting. Um, thanks so much. Bye. Toilets have so many connection points of what can go bad. It's very hard for us to know where it happens sometimes, right? We see water in the floor. We see maybe some running water in the side. And we just kind of go, where is it coming from? We don't know. You know, it can be so frustrating and so hard. So the first thing we want to do, Okay, is find where the source is. So we want to make sure we clean that whole toilet down. I want every single square inch of that toilet wiped down and dried. And I want you to recreate the problem. Right? If you were if it's happening, sometimes this is true. This happens quite a bit. Sometimes people will will not see the problem at all. Never happens. Right? And then you are on the toilet yourself. And you just move around a little bit and the weight of your body sometimes causes the leak. 
And if that is the case, there's two major culprits for it. First and foremost, the wax ring under the base of the toilet. That wax ring should be replaced between like 15 and 20 years if it's done well and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't happen very often. But if you take off your toilet, right, over and over again, um, you should always make sure that every time you take your toilet off, you were cha- you're changing out your wax ring. Sometimes people don't do that, and it can cause problems later on. Another thing that can happen is people pour, pour down boiling hot water down their toilets, and they don't realize that it can do two things. Crack their toilet, right? But it can also destroy the integrity of the wax ring. That high heat isn't great for a wax ring, right? Oh, like if they're trying to get out a clog? Yeah, like if they have a clog in the toilet, people dump down hot, boiling water. And it's okay to pour down hot water, but boiling hot water is a big no-no. It is such a bad thing to do for your toilets, and you're risking a pretty bad damage. Um, And also, if it doesn't damage anything externally, but then underneath it, it's wearing away that wax ring, you know, it... It's a problem. You don't even know why it's happening, you know? Also, wax rings just go bad. You know, sometimes, you know, age, uh, deterioration, um, high volumes of use, that will all just, you know, you know, chip away at it. You can replace it out. Um, there's tons of tutorials online that can walk you through there. I highly, highly um, encourage renting out a toilet jack. A toilet jack is life-changing. <laughs> if you're like, what's a toilet jack, Mercury? It is a tire jack for your toilet. Like, it is, it, Maggie, my back. I remember one day I'm on a job site, and I'm just like, I did two toilets in the morning, and we just had a, a lot going on. My back is killing me. And this older worker who's been doing this for 45 years walks up. You know, he just throws down this toilet jack, and he's like, yeah, I'll take care of this one for you. And he just does it so quickly. does it in at least in three minutes. What? And I'm like, what is this? And he was just like, you've never seen a toilet jack before? They didn't stop. No, that is such a common thing in the industry is that people just love to mess with you sometimes. <laughs> just watch you do oh, wrong. Especially just if you're on the younger side. It's like a rite of passage to see other technicians do something kind of silly. <laughs> I hate that mentality. But boy, it's funny in retrospect. Um, but anyways, uh, toilet jack would make your life a little bit easier. But... That might not be the problem we're talking about, right? The other problem we could be talking about is where the tank meets the bowl, right? There's gaskets right there. Um, typically, there's one gasket, and that one gasket can be a problem. If it's if it seats wrong, if one side of it bends or you push a little too hard on the tank, it can cause that gasket to, like, just not do its job. You know, basically, just imagine you're hugging something for hours at a time, right? And then someone comes around and just hugs you a little bit harder. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I'm done. You're kind of like squeezing the life out of this gasket, essentially. You know, too many hugs for this gasket. <laughs> you like my analogy, Maggie? Am I in a rope? <laughs> um, but essentially, that those are the two biggest culprits. And the, the, how to solve the tank to the toilet, um, the, the the toilet, the tank to the bowl, rather, you solve that by taking it apart and replacing the gasket. That that is not a hugely costly thing. Most of the things in your toilet, not that costly. What the most cost of a toilet is is the porcelain. The toilet itself is expensive, but the actual components, the flush valve, the fill valve, the the flapper, the gaskets, the wax ring, all those are pennies to the dollar. They're not that expensive. 
And if you want to splurge a little bit to get you a little bit of extra to make a extend the life a little bit, sometimes it's worth it. And it's only like fifteen to twenty dollars per component, which is usually worth it in my opinion. But all of that being said, we still don't know if that's a problem, right? So where else could it be coming from? If the leak isn't happening from where the tank and the toilet meet, if the leak isn't happening from the base of the toilet, but it's happening underneath the tank, right? This is the the third and typically the final place it would be leaking, right? Is the connection points from the supply line going into the actual tank itself. Now, Typically, they don't have like a little rubber gasket or anything, but there can be plastic around that area. And that plastic can crack, it can deteriorate, depending on what kind of toilet you have or what kind of supply line you have. You can have various things. So if, if you think you're getting water from over that area, I would make sure you double check and triple check to make sure that, that everything is nice and tight there. All the connection points that you see, all of them, even from your, your shutoff valve, by your toilet and everything, just double check that all the connections are tight before you go anywhere else. But when we're doing troubleshooting, when we're trying to figure things out, we want to basically do a checklist. You know, what is the most common thing it could be? Okay, let's check all the connections first. Okay. And then let's take another off our list. Let's see if the t- the connection from the tank to the toilets, uh, you know, like Move it around, move the tank around, fill it up a little bit and see if it's going to cause it. Flush it and move it while you're flushing it. See if you can make that happen. And then for the tank itself, make sure you get on on there. And if it's happening with one person and not the other person, do it with the one person it's happening to. Because sometimes weight can play a difference in how people are even sitting, right? So if you're sitting a, a little bit wider than on someone else, that's going to cause more strain on the side of the toilet. And that's going to cause more issues. It's it's the, the the variables of problems like that really have to be simulated for us to be able to properly solve those problems. Sometimes, uh, did I do a good job? That was amazing. Okay, was this that was a good one? That was okay. We got one. Mercury got one great answer out of three today. Straightforward. So yes. good. I'm a roll. Hi, um, this is Leanna or Lex. Um, I'm one of Mercury's. Um, burlesque students and I'm so excited that you have a podcast because I'm a little bit of an internet introvert and this is kind of the perfect level of anonymity and I have a question for you. So I live in an apartment and um, I have a toilet (laughs) um, that won't flush. Um, I had my landlord come and check it a while ago and in fact this happened with a previous toilet and he ended up replacing it. Now that I have the new toilet, um, it won't flush. Um, the water just doesn't seem to pick up the speed that it used to. And so instead of coming up with like a feasible plan for how to fix it, um, and my landlord is really, really sweet actually. He's like never raised my rent or anything like that, but he's been a lovely person, but he has sort of neglected to fix this one. But his suggestion was, to fill up a bucket of water every time that I flush the toilet, which, as you can imagine, when I have guests over, can be a little bit uncomfortable for people to, like, have to flush a bucket of water down the toilet every time. So um, my landlord took a look at it. I took a look at it, tried to fix the water levels and whatnot, make sure all the things are sort of, like, open. Of course, I do live here in Wisconsin where we have, for the most part, really hard water. So I don't know. I don't know if you have any ideas of other things I can try so that I don't have to keep having to use this bucket trick 
Um, but I would really appreciate it. And I love you so much. And congratulations, my dear, on everything you've got going on in your life. All right. Bye-bye. This is the most Wisconsin question we've ever gotten on podcast. <laughs> A landlord doesn't know how to fix it. So they're like, fill up the tank. A bucket. It's Aww, pretty great. I, I, I heard this and I was like, hey, this is not a great landlord. I, mm-hmm. I, I send my love to all landlords out there. I know there's uh, quite a bit who um, follow me, but I'm, you know, I'm always going to be on the side of the renters and I'm always going to support them as much as possible. And I'm going to tell you, this is not okay to me. This is definitely a problem. If you are, the, uh, uh, a toilet is a necessity in a home. Right. And this is the kind of thing that almost always would win in court. Right. Like if you brought this to court, it would be an issue. They would mandate you to fix it basically that day. There really wouldn't be no hymns or haws about it, especially if it's your only bath. If you got two baths, you might be it might be in a different situation. But if this is your only bathroom. Right. And they're telling you to do this one test to to, no, that's just not okay. But let's go over it because Something that that she said in there about what he was doing caught me, and I had a quick mm. Google something. Yeah, I saw you doing that. I was like, her brain is turning. Yeah. So <laughs> the first thing I'll throw out there is that he keeps replacing. He said he this happens to something else, to another unit, right? And he replaces the toilet, mm-hmm. and he keeps doing that over and over again. I think okay, a replacing the toilet because of this situation is the equivalent of replacing your car when you run out of gas. It doesn't make sense. The toilet itself, the porcelain, isn't doing the problem, right? right? The problem is either the components. We're talking the flush valve, the fill valve, those kind of things. Or there is a clog inside the S um, trap in your toilet or down the drain. And this is what I looked Uh, up. Why does this keep happening? Why does this keep happening in another toilet? Is there really, is there roots in the the pipes, we now that might be a bigger problem, and that could be why he's pushing this off because he knows the problem, he yeah. knows it, and it's going to cost us a lot, and that's the thing. And a lot of times, you know, I, I'm just going to say that this is some predatory practices because landlords will be really nice when they know they don't have an adequate home to provide you, mm-hmm. right? Because they, you being happy about everything else and about how great they're doing and everywhere else is going to keep you at bay because you know moving to the next landlord is like rolling dice. You don't yeah. know. You don't know. And they play off of you not knowing in order to do stuff. So, you know, I don't want to, like, scare all the renters who are listening to this and, and, and to, to throw so much blame on the landlord. But it doesn't sound right. And I think everyone listening to this knows that doesn't sound right. He's avoiding know? something. Yeah. So, I mean, using a bucket, I yeah, can't get over that. I mean, here's the thing: if that was once or twice, yeah, but that does not sound like once mm-hmm. or twice. This sounds like this went on for months. Yeah, it's it's almost heartbreaking how you can hear in her voice that she's yeah. just like been okay with this. Also, by the way, I do know her; she's my burlesque baby. I love <laughs> uh, Lux Derriere; they're an amazing person. Um, but all that being said, uh, it just breaks my heart. To hear someone be okay with that type of neglect in a lot of ways, uh, because we don't know. We just don't know when we goes to when we're living in renter uh, rentals. We don't always know what we're going to get in the next place. And 
Um, for me, as someone who's been a renter for a long time, I've been renting my apartment for the last six years. Before that, I've been, you know, renting from one place to another place. Um, I was um, homeless for several months and I literally had to live at my friend's Matt's house for a while while I found a place. Um, as someone who's been in those situations before, I will tell you that I, 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 I understand the thing of not wanting to ask a landlord and not wanting to pursue it and not wanting to ask for ask for help because you're so afraid you get mistreated for so long there's trauma attached to asking for help there's trauma attacking for asking for basic necessities like having your toilet repaired you know but all of that being said Let's go over what I think is growing on. So now I mentioned the roots. If it is, if there are roots growing into the the sewage line, and that's a huge issue, and that is not something that most landlords are going to want to hear, right? It could also be just a major clog that's in a wet vent, and that that's causing the problem. And and typically the wet vent is connected to multiple units. So this is a place that has multiple units and not just a home or a house rather, uh, then we're talking about it probably being a larger clog that's backing up more than one toilet. It could be that, right? Uh, and often you're not going to be able to do much with it. If it's a real permanent hard clog, no matter how much you auger it yourself, you're going to, you know, getting in there might need to be a, a bigger thing. Now, the toilet replacement thing, I don't know. To me, that's like you're almost doing it just to appease people, Yeah. right? But it also sounded like that did solve the problem before. So I don't know. Temporarily. Yeah, temporarily at least. So my hot take on this would be this. Um, I I just don't know why anyone would replace a toilet because of this. I just don't. It could be, unless the toilet is very old, right? Like it could be a very, very old toilet that has a specific design to it. You can't get anymore. So you need to replace the toilet. But a toilet, it's still, you can get a good one for under 150 So it still seems odd to me the landlord would hem and haw over that. Um, because that's a lot cheaper than, you know, making your, you know, your tenant push it off over and over and over again and losing a good tenant because you're not going to replace the toilet. So I'm just, this is just a wild one. Um, but there are some components that could go bad in there, right? The flush valve is a great one. The flush valve, um, can go bad. It can, uh, it can just like not be able to have the pressure it needs, right? Uh, a fill valve maybe could be some of the issue, but honestly, I'm almost at lost with why uh, the landlord would immediately replace the toilet rather than wanting to actually fix the problem of it. So, well, like you said, it, it he may just may know that there's more going on, and it it looks like he's doing something good. Yeah, by replacing it. Yeah, and and I could be wrong. I want to open. I want to open this up too. Yeah. I could be very wrong, right? And that's another thing about this situation is that we as tenants lean towards not wanting to be wrong. We don't want to put ourselves in a position or someone else in a position Mm -hmm. to make them feel like, oh, you know, I'm living in their property, right? We don't want to do that. But that mentality is working against us and working for them, right? The fact that we're not able to even push this subject without the fear of backlash is the problem. There's a power dynamic here that is often hard for us to talk about as tenants. And I think the landlords and property managers and people who are listening to this, who are in the field, just know you have an innate power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And if something like this is happening, I think it's all on you. This, If this problem is a vast big problem, right, then this isn't a place that that person can live at. And you should need to find them adequate housing. 
You know? So how would she broach with the landlord the idea that she thinks there's more going on and she wants him to look at it more in depth? I mean, you can honestly, none of this should be on phone call. None of this should be on phone call. None of this should be in person. All of it, all of it should be an email. All of it should be. Or text, but email is preferred. If you have a phone call, follow it up in email, right? Because you need to have the documentation of when you first requested this, when he first came over, what he did, and all of that. Because if you do take this to court, if you do go that route, then you need to have the documentation. Because if he doesn't have the documentation when he's required by law to, you're already going to win this, right? But if he has documentation that contradicts you and he says he did this and he did that, um, you know, and he has supposed receipts and et cetera, that's going to work against you. So you need to make sure you protect yourself and your property and your home, right? Because he might own the land, but you own everything inside of there. And who resides and who owns, those are very polarizing topics of who actually is the homeowner and who's actually the person living in there can be a thing. Mm -hmm. And the courts get to decide that sometimes of who's in the right, who's in the wrong. And it's such a touchy thing. But it changes from county to city to state. Um, So it might not be the same thing for someone who's living in a smaller town outside of a larger city. It might be something very different in a different state. You can look it up by just essentially looking up... um, repair times in your state for tenants' rights, right? Mm -hmm. If you type in um, uh, repair time request or like maintenance request, time allotted, and then your state, you should get a time that's allotted. And in Wisconsin, where Lex Derriere lives, it is um, seven days from the moment that this sent in, seven days. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't repaired in seven days, you know, they're going to give you more time. You know, if you address it and you you still need more time, then it goes up to 30 days. Emergencies need to be addressed within 24 to 48 hours in Wisconsin. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's and I would say if you can't use a toilet, this (laughs) verges on the side of emergency, you know, so that you you shouldn't be telling people just to pour down a bucket of water. But there's also that's odd. Why does it why does a bucket of water do it? It has to be the flush valve, maybe Maggie, but that doesn't make any sense to me. See, this is just a wild one to me, <laughs> where there's so many possibilities here, um, and I feel like we're missing something that m- makes me angry. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay, so I'm all I'm all for I'm one for three today. <laughs> okay, so we we reconvened and we had a meeting of the minds because I wanted to make sure we got this right, and I don't want to overlook anything. And it's really important to me when I come on this podcast. I can rant and do the things I want to do, but I also really want to solve the problem. And I just felt like I was missing something here. So I had Maggie and our sound engineer, Matthew, um, kind of like help me figure this one out and look up some stuff. So Maggie, can you tell me what the other possibilities could be for the toilet? It could be a, a clog in the trap, a worn out flapper, blocked rim jets, a faulty float, or an issue with the handle and chain. Okay, we're going to take this one by one. And I'm going to kind of throw my two cents in. If it's in the trap, they mean the S-curve in your toilet. And that can be punched out with a toilet auger, right? That's why that makes no sense to me. Nothing what did she mention about a toilet auger. And that's be the first thing that I would do is try to punch something out with a toilet auger. What's the next one? A worn-out flapper. That's an odd one because that's a $3 fix that would be done the day of when they re- request it. 
uh, blocked rim jets. That's another weird one. I mean, that could be very much it. And that might be something you might want to think about. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, a faulty float. That's another really easy fix. Yeah. That's another, it's another the same day fix. So that's, that's the thing that's interesting yeah. to me here. Is that like, maybe that there, I don't know. So if it was an issue with the toilet itself, it would be easily solvable and could be fixed in a day. Yeah, if you have the equipment. But if this has gone on for a couple of months, I just don't, that's the problem I don't understand. I, I have had, I've had to tell renters and one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning before that, hey, you know what? Tonight, I'm just not going to solve this problem with you. You know, put a little bit of dish soap um, in that um, toilet and then pour down some water and then that's going to take care of it for that night, right? The dish soap is going to lubricate stuff and make sure it goes down, essentially, right? And the pressure is going to release it. That That is okay. For one night, a couple times, okay. But the continuation mm-hmm. is just so unheard of. And it's got me all up in my 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 anger about it because I'm just, I don't know, just telling another human being that they need to have a lower quality of living because you don't want to solve the problem is just so unacceptable to me. Um, But anyway, so we should move on. But I wanted to make sure that we at least cover everything so people who are listening have a concept of what else could be going wrong because if I'm wrong, and I very well could be, I want to make sure we have other routes that that she could go and anyone else who's listening could go. Hi, Mercury. My name is Jess. My husband asked me what I want for Christmas, and what I really want is a tool set of my very own. I've had different tools on and off in my life, but I really like my own toolkit where I could really learn how to use the drill and use all of the tools and it, it would be mine and I'd have ownership over it. I really would like that. Not that he doesn't share, but I'd really like my own. Do you have any recommendations for what I could ask for or what I should have in my very own toolkit? I'd really appreciate any insight you have. I love your show and I love your Instagram account and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Maggie's smiling because she already knows the answer to this question because I get asked this question all the time. And we are approaching the holidays. So people, I've been seeing this a lot in my comment section yeah, lately. Seen it too. Yeah, a lot of people are asking what kind of um, toolkit am I recommending? And I'm going to be honest with you. I think toolkits in general um, don't really get the job done. And I think they give you a false sense of security because toolkits are often ones that like, I don't know. They give you this like 500 tools for $8. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a good way to tell if a toolkit's going to be a ripoff, right? If you were looking at one toolkit and it's $10 and you got six tools in there and you got another tool uh, kit that says $10 for 16 tools, it's a ripoff. Because if the pr- the number of the tools go up but the price stays the same, it is not possible. They're cutting corners or they're doing something that is not right. And the problem is, is when we're dealing with um, tools, we need to think about the, 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 the metals that are being made with it. Soft metals are going to be problems with tools. You want hard metals. And you typically get that when we're talking about like, stronger, more expensive tools, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, there is, of course, a price point here and an accessibility issue. I want to make sure everyone has access to the tools they need. And I'm never going to shame anyone for doing that. But in an ideal world, right, 
we would be building our toolkits by individual tools for the best toolkit, right? Mm -hmm. But if we are looking for a situation of like, look, Mercury, I just need a tool set right now. I don't have the time in the world to look for every single tool of the best quality to make sure I can do it, right? I just want the toolkit right now. What do I do? Um, uh, uh, you know, I think the answer is probably Craftsman. Craftsman has a really good uh, toolkit that that ranges from different sizes. You can get a $30 one, a $50 one. They have like a $75 one. And they got all the way up to three, dollars $400. And I think those are pretty decent. Um, I hate that most toolkits don't have an adjustable groove joint pliers. Mm -hmm. And adjustable groove joint pliers, for those who do not know, is also called a channel locks. And a channel locks and, and, and adjustable pliers is essentially the main tool you use for most plumbing, right? Shower heads, uh, toilets, sinks, you know, um, just you name it. Adjustable groove drum players is probably can do it, you know. And most toolkits don't have that because it's a tool that is not easily made at low cost. Mm. You have mm. to make it at higher cost almost because the functionality, the way it, it, it like slips is like a slip joint almost. But a slip joint player is a little bit different than a adjustable groove joint. A adjustable groove joint will have like 10 slots. And that means a lot more variabilities for it to go bad, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why those um, tools are really hard to produce at low cost. So you don't really get them in, in, in toolkits too often. And when you do, they're pretty bad. And I've never <laughs> seen a good one. And I have tried. Last year, I went on a, a mission to find the best toolkit. I went through 12. Wow. And you never saw that video because I got pretty upset about it. And yeah. I just could not make it. I swear I could not find a toolkit that that had the adjustable groove drum players in there that was decent. And that was heartbreaking. But here's the thing. Craftsman does make a good toolkit that's minus that, um, that has pretty good uh, Phillips and a pretty good flathead. Uh, they have the tape measure. They have the, the 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 level in there that I think is important for a lot of tools. They have uh, multiple different kinds of Allen keys and hex keys. I think that's good. Uh, the quality of tools kind of range. Some are really low quality in those toolkits, but some are pretty decent quality. And that's where I think it. I think Craftsman is one route to go. DeWalt has a decent one. Milwaukee has a decent one. Um, but I haven't really seen other ones that really appease to me. You know, stay away from Master Force. Stay away from, um, you know, those little bags you get at Walmart, you know. But if you need them, absolutely do that. You know, for accessibility, absolutely do what you need to do. Just be aware that you could be dealing with a tool that could strip out your your screws more easily, that could damage the things you're working on, um, and actually make your life a little bit harder, right? Um, for example, cheaper Phillips screwdrivers will be the wrong size or have softer metal for the for the nose, and they will actually strip up the inside of your screw and will actually make your life a lot harder. And trying to get a screw out that's stripped is a nightmare. And you might need to get a screw attractor or using a rubber band trick to try to get them out. You know, that's a much harder ball game than, you know, uh, than it is otherwise. So that's my hot take. No, we're talking about drills. <laughs> oh, drills. <laughs> Maggie knows I love to talk about <laughs> drills, but I don't see too many good drill uh, drills that come with toolkits. Right. Yeah. Craftsman's does, though. And that's funny we, we talk about it because I think they have a pretty decent 
Um, 18 volt battery uh, drill with the Craftsman. I don't think their drill's bad, right? If you're just doing a little bit of stuff here and there and you want it for confidence, I think it's great. I think if you're a renter or someone who like is just doing it here and there, I don't think you need more than a 12 volt, right? And I think you can get away with Black & Decker's 12 volt lithium um, gun. That is $40 for a decent quality drill. Um, not the best, right? I wouldn't want it on a job site, but at home, yeah, absolutely. And, the, and it's nice and lightweight, comparatively, great. Now, if you're in the next tier and you want to get something that's a little bit more durable, I don't think you can go wrong with a Makita, um, a Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee's are great because you can get a, a 12 um a 12 volt drill gun for a pretty low price of a hundred or so dollars and they really lightweight um bosch and milwaukee make really lightweight drills so but i could be here talking about drills all day <laughs> Y'all get it started. oh yeah i love it the ones i use for those who don't know i love cobalt cobalt's my preferred one but i also have a brand deal with a certain company <laughs> made that possible. That may have made me switch because I was like, <laughs> you know. Um, but I also like DeWalt. I like DeWalt a lot, but the DeWalt doesn't make quality drills like they used to. Um, when I was taking a look at my getting a new drill set, I was actually quite upset that the drills I was seeing from DeWalt now are pretty like not durable, and they're more money than they once were, but less quality. The drills I have from DeWalt have lasted me almost 13 years at this point. Wow. And I have dropped them af- off of 15, 20-foot ladders, and they're still kicking. And that's the thing that drives me nuts is that we just don't see tools like that um, that are at a good price point anymore. You know, mm-hmm. cheaper tools almost have plastic casing now. And it's really upsetting because, like, I would like us to have more accessible tools at a lower price point that will last us a little bit longer. We just don't see it anymore. So, Maggie, what do you think? A two out of five? <laughs> I did a two out of five today? <laughs> I think we still learned a lot. There was, there was a lot in there that I was surprised to learn, like the hot glue. And, uh, you know, I will never forget that one. You're going to go home right now and look for the nearest cement wall. I'm going to and- do my laundry room all <laughs> You're going to send me a text tomorrow and then, like, my husband is so mad at me. Um, I love this. This is what I love. I I love that we sat here, we we, we, uh, recorded this, and we got to talk about this. Even off audio, I love debating about this stuff and finding out what's best for renters and homeowners alike. You know, I'm always going to advocate for the homeowners, but I'm also going to spend a lot of time advocating for renters because I don't think there's enough voices in this field who really pay attention to renters. And I'm happy we have those conversations today. I'm happy that so many of you called in. Please continue to call in and making this the number one how-to educational podcast. (laughs) Wild, wild. Um, Thank you so much. Make sure that you support me on all the platforms, on Instagram, the YouTube, and of course, the Tiki Talk. Um, you can also make sure you support my weekly online burlesque show that is ending on December 16th. But you can watch me in person or online any Friday until December 16th. So get those tickets at MercuryStardust.com. We are doing a GoFundMe as well as trying to get 10,000 tickets for my weekly show for the December 16th. So please contribute if you can. It's going to be great. Um, I'm really excited. Very nervous too. (laughs) So thank you so much for all the support. And remember, 
You're worth the time it takes to learn a new skill. Have a good day. Take care. And bye-bye. So grab your hammer and nails and paint your nails if you want to.